All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel podcast. We are here recording our very last podcast for 2019 with Mr. Tate Streeter. Tate, how are you today, sir? Man, I'm doing good. Um, getting some rest in after traveling these last few matches and been working up showers trying to get parts out before Christmas. There's a bunch of guys ordering stuff for Christmas presents, I guess. I don't know. We had a wave come in, but. Anyway, trying to get them all out and get done and get some family time myself for Christmas. There you go, sir. Family is always the most important thing. Um, you know, first, first and foremost, I want to congratulate you on a absolutely awesome season and becoming the 2019 NRL champion. Big congratulations! I'm so very happy and and, and proud and and uh, the whole nine yards. I don't even have the right words to describe it, but I'm very excited that you took that championship, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So for some of our listeners that are just uh, getting into the precision rifle game, um, can you kind of give us a quick bio about who you are, how you got started, what you do? Uh, yeah, like you said, my name is Tate Streeter. I'm one of the owners of Impact Precision Shooting. Uh, we make custom rifle components, primarily bolt-action receivers. Um, we sell... A lot of barrels, barreled actions. Our, our receiver takes pre-fit barrels. Proof's doing barrels now. Travis Stevens does a lot of barrels. Joe at Exus does. But anyway, pre-fit, pre-fit game's growing strong, and and uh, we kind of make an action built around that. Uh, we sell a few rifles, but uh, we primarily uh, manufacture actions. Um, it works, you know, hand in hand with this shooting stuff. I get to travel and do what I love every day. My dad told me, um, find something you. You know, you love to do and you won't work a day in your life. He didn't tell me about the knots, but you know, I don't know. Whatever that saying's worth. True. But, man, it's been, a, it's been a good good ride. I love what I do. Um, you know, like I, you know, I guess I, I didn't finish, but I've been shooting competitively since 2014 pretty hard every year. And uh, I'll probably shoot between eight and I think this year I, I shot 16 matches chasing after this title. But uh, I try to stay active. And, you know, it's a lot of fun traveling all over the country, meeting buddies and, you know, catching up with friends. You met six states over. We have a lot in common. It's just fun. It's just a fun deal. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, this season, you know, watching you shoot throughout the entire season, you um, you shot very well. You, you've always done very well every time I see you shoot a match. Um, but there was a certain point in time. And I, I don't know when that point was for you, but it seemed like you kind of like kicked it up a notch and there was like a, a new fire that was lit underneath you this year. Uh, and you got serious about chasing that championship. What was, what was that defining moment for you? Or, or when did you finally say, Hey, you know what? I I'm, I'm going for blood. I'm going after these guys. I'm going to be champion. I think that was, uh, when I'm won the New Mexico Smith ranch match, my, uh, my strong point has always been field-type matches, and that's basically from Oklahoma West. And this is my first year to really dig into the NRL. Just, you know, I've shot a couple of matches before, but uh, the finale worked out good this year, and most of the matches around our part of the country turned NRL, and, you know, I decided to chase it too, and it really, really fits my type of shooting well. But when I won that match, uh, I called, you know, I got a bunch of buddies, we're on text messages, stuff like that, and Clay Blackheader said, you know, you need to get your head set on winning the NRL. You know, that type of shooting's yours. And I think probably, you know, right then and there is when I decided, hey, I may, I may go after this deal. 
Nice, nice. And you, you talk about Clay. You guys travel quite a bit to matches together as well, don't you? Um, we did later. I think we wore out all of our other buddies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I shot, I don't know, I usually I usually plan on four matches and then later on in the year get talked into going with somebody. It's hard for me to say no because I love going. But sometime around September, um, Clay called me and said, man, I'm going to win the PRS. You're going to win the NRL. And let's let's do it. Let's hit it hard. So, you know, I had a I had a few points to gain here and there. Jake and Godarzy and Pinch were, you know, every time you'd get up on somebody, the other one would jump in and go to a match. So it felt like you were losing every time you weren't there. So we kind of decided, hey, we'll, we'll go to this match, you know, for him to gain some PRS points. We'll go to this match for me to try to get some NRL points. And we spent a, we spent a lot of money and a lot of miles and a lot of time just inching away at points. Hey, but it all paid off at the end. I mean, he took the championship for the PRS. You took the championship for the NRL. I mean, that's a huge, huge win for Oklahoma this year. Man, it was awesome. You know, we, we were definitely blessed this year. Everything, you know, to win the finale in the series, there's a lot of things have to fall into the place. I don't care how you go into the finale looking. You still have to finish strong and, and really have to have a little bit of luck on your side. And it just, it just worked out, you know, perfectly for us this year. Nice. So when did it finally, because I remember we hung out after the championship, we played a little bit of cornhole, uh, you know, had a couple of cocktails and whatnot, but when did it actually sink in that, hey, you are the best in the nation for the NRL? Man, to be honest, it sank in going into the second day. Um, I went into that finale, you know, wanting to win the season and wanting to finish strong and after day one, I knew I knew I was really gonna have to face to not make it happen. And I knew as long as I held my game, I'd kind of counted. You know, I think we had six stages to go, and I kind of counted how many pinch had to get on me. Them, are you there? Yep, I'm here. And you know, I uh, I knew, like I said, as long I knew there was one long range stage, and I knew as, as long as I didn't fall on my face there, everything was gonna be. All right, and I'll be honest, I got a little, I wouldn't say, I would say pressured up. I didn't really ever get nervous, but every time I got down in the in the scope, everything settled down, and I knew, you know, I knew it was going to go my way. So it was a pretty exciting day, to say the least. That that whole match, the whole weekend was was packed full of energy. I mean, the, the top shooters in the nation were out there. We had some international guests out there. But the way, the way that you guys, you know, the top 10, the top 20 competitors – shot that weekend it was a it was almost uh like a ballet you guys were seemed very poised you guys were very confident in what you were doing um that level of professionalism and confidence i mean that doesn't come overnight i mean how, how does how does that work for you because i get to a stage and i'm like i'm all nervous and shaking and i just want to shoot and get, and get done and you guys are out there making it look like you know a, another easy day Man, you know, I wouldn't say it, it comes really easy. The first thing that helped us settle down at the finale is, man, I got to shoot with a bunch of great guys that I don't always get to shoot with. Got to shoot with Pinch, who was, you know, right on my tail. And um, Godarzy, I've never shot with him, enjoyed him. Um, Isaiah Curtis, I mean, this, the list goes on. Brett Barnes. Man, those guys are really all cool dudes. We had a we had a lot of fun shooting together, so we were pretty comfortable there. But I played a lot of college golf earlier in my life. Well, 
a lot of a lot of golf and you know even earlier than that but you know it really gets the nerves I, I don't I guess just through experience but you know I guess we've learned to to let the confidence take over the nerves but you just take one shot at a time and don't don't ever think about missing or what could be if you don't you don't do what you're supposed to do you just think about doing what you're supposed to do and and everything will be all right so I'm not sure it's always easy even though it looks easy well, you guys definitely make it look easy. That's for sure. It's uh, it's just crazy watching how how all of you guys perform. Now, even before you won the NRL championship, you had been like you said you've been competing for many years. And I remember the first time you and I met. I believe it was at a competition dynamics match out in. I think it was in New Mexico. Yes, sir. And. Uh, You'd been, uh, you know, a, a champion for, or you know, you'd won several competition dynamics match team matches. How how does that feel? You know, working in a team environment versus winning a championship by yourself. Man, you know, the team matches are fun. Um, actually, it's to be honest, more fun, but it's more of a you know, go shoot for a weekend and then it's done kind of deal. This, this series stuff is, you know, it's a, it's a way of life. The guys that chase the series, you know, they literally devote their year to getting every point they can, hitting every piece of steel they can, you know, getting every edge they can. So there's definitely a lot more, you know, blood, sweat and tears goes into, you know, the NRL championship. The, the team matches are, I would say are probably more fun because, you know, there's not as much on the line and, um, you're having fun with a buddy, whereas right. it's a lot more get down to business at a NRL championship or whatever. There you go. And that makes perfect sense. So moving forward, I, I don't know uh, if people have been paying attention to the NRL schedule, but you had been voted to host the the 2020 NRL championship. So now that you have won the 2019 championship and you're hosting the 2020 championship, has that given you any perspective or, or ideas on how you want to run your match? Um, you know, not really. I've been running a couple of one-day matches for a few years, and I don't necessarily – I'm not one of those guys that pick apart every match. I go to have fun and shoot, and I really don't, you know, whine about this stage or that stage. But ever since I was asked to, to host the finale, you know, I'm also hosting a regular season match next year as well with yes, the Clay Blackheaders. And – you know, when you know you're going to host, I mean, just naturally in life, you, I don't want to stink at anything. So you start paying attention to the details a little bit more. And, man, this is really good how they did this or this was bad or, you know, this stage design may leave, you know, some 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 opening for somebody to not be happy. And, you know, I wouldn't say I got any major ideas, but I've definitely paid attention more, you know, since I got that nomination to, you know, to, to stage designs. All right. So let's make a early prediction for 2020 because – Obviously, as the match director for the championship, you can't compete in that match. So, right. since you're automatically out of out of the running for that, who do you think is maybe your top three favorites to take the match next year? Mm. I know that's Man, tough. Put, I know that's you're tough. You're putting me on the spot. <laughs> uh, you know, it always depends on who's chasing what, and I really haven't talked to any buddies about who they're. You know, you know what they're chasing, but you know if Clay Blackheader goes after it, he's going to be hard to beat. He always is. Yes, sir. Um, he's just an up and comer in the last two or three years, and I spent a lot of time with him on the phone 
you know, at, at these matches when, when we do something bad, it seems like, you know, one or two stages take you out of a out of a match. I mean, you get in the truck and you got, you know, 11th and you're like, you lost by six points. You're like, man, I really did these two dumb things that really cost me third place. Or you get third and you think, man, if I hadn't done this stupid thing on the stage, I would have got first. I mean, every point counts, but Clay is one of those people that, um, I'm not really saying I was one of his mentors, but he'd call and, you know, we'd talk through stages and what he messed up on. And I do the same to him now. I mean, um, you know, obviously I look up to him as a shooter, but, um, you know, the top level guys, it's not necessarily a hundred percent their shooting ability that sets them apart. It's what's, it's what's between their ears. Right. I mean, it's, it's thinking and being mentally sharp all the time, not messing up, not slipping. And, you know, Clay's going to be one of those guys. Uh, I can't help but think. Um, Austin or game, yep. you know, and I'm not just picking guys that are around me, but Austin's tough to beat. He didn't shoot this much this year. Um, he shot when he can, but he's, he's always tough. He's, you know, finished in the top 10 in the PRS the last two years, finished, I don't know, fourth, fifth or sixth. And then RL this year, we're just shooting three matches, I believe. And, um, one NRL two years ago. So he's going to be tough to beat. Yes, sir. Um, and, 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 and I'd say pinch and Vibbert, you know, they're always, always tough. Just depends on who wants it the most and, and how they shoot at the finale. Now, and that's true. I mean, it really is anybody's game. And the amount of new talent that's coming up in the sport is just, it's insane. It's phenomenal. And the, the dedication and effort that the competitors are putting in, uh, I mean, it's not like anything I've seen in the past. Right, man, it's crazy. We have, uh, I've got a good buddy, Quinn Rogers, who just shot this year. He's going to hit it tough next year. And man, he's, he's traveled a lot of matches with me and he's, I'm not going to say I jump started him, but man, he, you know, he gets to, he's been traveling with some, some good shooting guys and get, hey, he's, he's a little ahead of the curve on the middle game just from doing so. Um, there's a few guys around Oklahoma, Jacoby Jarnigan. I mean, there's, there's some guys that, you know, nobody knows yet they're going to come out and be tough to beat next year. And I'm sure that's how it is in a bunch of states. Uh, it's going to be tough. It is. It is. And Quinn is one of those guys that I met for the first time this year. Is this Quinn's first year competing on a national level? Absolutely, it was. Yep. Wow. That that boy, that guy, young man, He, I mean, he's got some talent. I don't even know how old he is, but I'm assuming I'm older than he is. He's uh, <laughs> he, He's got some talent because I remember watching him shoot at the heat stroke with you. And I was like, he's definitely, he's definitely got his game going. Yeah, he got. I think he got, he got fourth or fifth at the East Stroke. You know, his second or third match. So that's that's phenomenal. So when you talk about the mental game, I've had this conversation with a lot of different competitors. Um, how does the mental game work for you? Because you know everybody has a different process that they go through, and I always like you know, to hear from, from the best, what their process is and kind of take away from that. Um, you know, I don't know that I necessarily have a process. One thing, you know, one thing I get in a, a bad habit a lot of time is when I go to a match, I just go to shoot good. I don't necessarily go to win. Well, um, I feel like I hurt myself a lot. I'm usually up towards the top, but you know, you have to absolutely be concentrated on, on hitting as close to center of every target that you can every stage, you know, for the whole match, or you will not win anymore. Very rarely will you win if you ever let that slip. So, you know, I think a guy, and it sounds really simple, and I said that, and actually I keep using Clubix. He's one of the guys I talk to, and, and we're so 
one of the guys I talked to, you know, hours on the phone throughout the year, right, talking about stuff to improve. But I said, I told Clay, I said, man, I just got in the zone. I started trying to hit the center of targets, not settling for, you know, a, a crappy hold for less of a better term, or you know, left center or right center. Sometimes you get a guy will get solid on a barricade and be in a locked up position, and you know, not be on center, and it's just worth that extra breath, that extra two seconds to center those crosshairs up and make as good a pull as you can. And, you know, it's just a matter of being mentally disciplined, you know, to hit the center of as many targets as you can and, and learn from every shot. You know, if you hit right center on this shot, you know, you may send another one. If you hit right center again, you know, you may be time to, you know, yank it over to the left. And all that stuff sounds really simple, but when the buzzer goes off and time starts now, you know, a lot of guys throw that out the window. And, I mean, it's, it's everybody can do it everybody can slip this is true i mean you have to have confidence not only in your skill set but in your gear as well absolutely yes sir you know and you know we everybody that's ever shot with you or watched you shoot knows that you definitely have the skill set but what about the gear that you use i mean obviously you you know you, you manufacture your own actions let's take Let's take a few minutes and talk about the gear, how you set up your rifle, uh, if there's any tips or tricks that you do that might be a little bit different than another gunsmith or, or whatever does. Uh, let's, let's break it down for us. Man, I'm pretty I'm a pretty simple guy. Obviously, I use an impact action. Uh, when Wade designed, Wade Studeville is a partner of mine, and he's been around in this game a long time. And when he, you know, more or less designed that action, you know, it's got a feature from every other thought process out there but um, Wade says he's a mud and dirt kind of guy and he doesn't need anything flashy he just wants something that works so everything that goes in our action just something that's tried and true and, and flat out works there's nothing flashy about it just um, we just don't have any problems well, we've got quite a bit of them out there now and I very rarely have problems um, I said um, our action I always use a foundation stock I don't bet it course I like John Kyle how can you not like John Kyle but there's just something different about that stock that you can't you can't describe or explain to somebody that hasn't shot it just the way it shoots seems to absorb recoil and and deaden the 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 recoil pulse in a way that it is just impossible to describe but it's more of a dead feeling than a than a recoil um obviously use uh weight weight suitable precision chambers on my barrels um, I use our muzzle brake, and I'll be honest, I flip-flop scopes about as much as anybody. <laughs> um, get, get on this reticle, get on that reticle. I ran Vortex Optics for most of the year this year, VBR7. For more of a field match, I like a, a planar reticle um, that's a little less busy. Um, you know, I don't necessarily do anything special to my gun. I'll, another thing that some people would die if they if they knew but I haven't measured a chamber in about six chambers. I've run the same length, same load, same everything. Really? Uh, for about six barrels. Yeah, I don't I don't measure anything. Why is that? Man, I don't want to chase it. You know, I shoot a six millimeter uh, BRA, and it's just one of those inherently accurate, accurate cartridges. Um, I can get away with it. I mean, throughout the whole life of the barrel, I'm running the same overall length, same powder charge. Yeah, it just keeps it simple. I don't like messing with all that, all that stuff. For one, I don't have time for it. I'd rather spend my time, you know, getting getting mentally focused and making sure my gun's running out than getting getting that group shrunk down in the zeros. Right. 
So that you know, you keep talking about a simplistic platform uh, of all high quality, great parts. Obviously, I mean, you can't you can't expect to go out there and win championships with with something that's not good quality. But when you talk about simplicity, um, what other accessories you know do you use? Because when I watch you shoot, you don't carry very much with you as far as bags or or plates or tripods or any of that other crazy type stuff. You're very minimalistic. I am. Uh, one thing I'll always have with me is the uh, the Wee Bad Whiskey Charlie, I believe they call it. It's a mini fortune cookie. Um, the canvas has got a heavy feel in it, and that, that bag is what I use about 85% of the time. A lot of times, I used to, earlier in the year, I'd carry a big fortune cookie or not carry one at all and just <laughs> borrow somebody's game changer <laughs> or, or a big, big fortune cookie for a prone stage. Um, I do like using a bigger bag for the prone stuff, but any anything positional, I don't even look at it. I just use the uh, new WeBat small heavy fill bag to go up there. But I'm trying to get less dependent on a tripod, and and that was one of the things that went into my my prep for the finale. Is I knew they don't allow tripods down there, so I just kicked it to the side and you know made myself shoot without it. But there you go. The, those are those are pretty much the, the extra pieces of gear I carry. So I know that you don't really like to get involved in the quote unquote political drama or, or even just the, the, the match drama or any of that type of stuff. Um, and there's really not any out there, but what do you think about, you know, people that carry around a bunch of gear, you know, like 10 bag or three or four bags and, and the latest and greatest doodad or whatever it is. Um, you know, it doesn't bother me at all. I I used to carry a pump pillow and you know probably three bags and um, hanging out with Matt Brasso he carry carry one bag and just you know skull drag us make us look like goobers and I got to thinking man there's got to be something to that if if you're not if you're not getting any better you're not watching the guys that are better you know you really you really ought to and I just I had a couple of moments where I just sat there and be like wow am I carrying all this stuff I need to figure out obviously it's working for them you know I need to figure out how to do this and just you know, minimize the gear that I'm carrying around. And I think, I think that's a big help. A lot of people carry it around using different scenarios, but you know, that's probably one of the best things I've done is minimize, minimize my gear and, you know, got to where I could shoot off that bag anywhere. Then, then any kind of barricade you go to is just another barricade. I mean, using your bag, you're holding your gun the same way. It doesn't really matter what the barricade is. You know, you're used to that bag and, and how you're going to shoot every position. So I, I think it hurts people carrying all the gear around. I, I keep, you know, you asked me earlier if I've done any prep or, or if it's changed how I designed the finale. I went to Jake Vibbert's match uh, first weekend in November this year, and he didn't restrict any gear whatsoever. But if you used a tripod, it would probably hurt you. So I think he did a really good job of, you know, saying use whatever you want, but I might not use whatever you know <laughs> you might not use it because you're not going to have time so right i don't I'm, I'm not really for restrictions um you know a lot of people want it and some people may shoot different than me but i'm, I'm a you know run what you brung kind of guy and you know I, I like when a match director really makes you decide whether you want to carry all the stuff around or not nice so when you switched over from carrying you know this type of you know multiple bags or, or multiple types of gear over to being very simplistic with your mini fortune cookie, what what did your training or your practice regimen look like? I mean, obviously, 
you know, I mean, something had to change for you to get that comfortable that fast with everything. Well, you know, I really don't practice as much as a lot of people might think when I do. What, one thing I do before I go to every match is I make sure my gun's running out. I'm very fortunate I live in the, you know, part of the country and, and in the country where I have a range on the way. I actually have two ranges within 15 miles of my house. I can run my gun out to about 950 yards. I could get more than that if I wanted, but one of the ranges, I have 11 stages. And when I, when I actually go practice, the only thing I do ever is the PRS barricade. And I have four targets out there and I may alternate targets. I may shoot one shot from each position and move because it's kind of monotonous, you know, shooting the same target over and over, two shots, move, two shots. So one thing I try to do to stay mentally sharp and, and, you know, handle a lot of things at once is basically run a troop line, you know, one shot per near to far, you know, one shot per position and, you know, move eight times, run it through twice. But man, that bag, you know, everybody shoots it different. I mean, if you watch John Pinch, and I'm just using him for an example because I shot with him here recently, and, man, he's, as far as I'm concerned, he's one of the, the greats of our time. I mean, he's he's earned it. I can remember when he came back on the stage in 16, I didn't know who he was, but he finished way up there, and he has ever since. So, obviously, you know, when you're shooting with him, you need to not waste your time and watch what he's doing because he's obviously doing it right and see right. if you can learn something from him. But, you know, he shoots a little bit different. He runs his hand a little bit further up on the – the, the chassis than I do when you're shooting off of a bag, but, um, you know, everybody holds it different. Everybody's got different body types. You just got to figure out what works best for you. Um, and I, I know there's a lot of people say that, but it's really true. There's nothing like going and getting some live fire practice and seeing what, you know, what works best for you. Even, even if you have to shoot paper to see those results. Right. See, and it, it's funny because I talk to a lot of new competitors and, and whatnot. And, I always kind of reference it back to golf. I, I played golf when I was younger as well. Not not anywhere near the same level as you, but I had a, a Japanese dad, so I was at the golf range, you know, twice a week, right? <laughs> um, and when I was, you know, playing golf, you know, I got some off-the-shelf whatever, right, kit? And as I started getting better, my gear had to change because it had to be built or suited for me. So I had to go to, you know, the right length club to a stiffer shaft, whatever, right? Um, and it's the same thing with, with almost any sport. If you're not using gear that you're comfortable with, with your body type or your shooting style, um, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? Absolutely. So when you're looking for a proper setup, whether, you know, let's start with an action. Cause that's where you're an expert. When you're looking for an action, what are the things when if I was just some Joe Schmo off the street and I said, Hey Tate, I've heard great things about your actions. I want to buy one. What should I be looking for as a consumer when I'm I'm shopping for an action? Well, anymore, um, you're crazy if you don't buy an action that um headspace guarantees headspace where you get prefits because sending your sending your rifle off to a gunsmith and you know waiting months or weeks or whatever that's for the birds anymore it's just not right. necessary um you know there's a lot of you know like curtis is a big supporter of the prs and he has you know a bunch of good shooters for them they obviously like the 60 degree throw um you got they're pretty much they're pretty much the only option for a 60 degree throw besides an ai and those are almost two different platforms but you know, any of them are good. You know, I, I'm a horrible salesman. You know, obviously, <laughs> obviously, I want to sell everybody an impact, but Lone Peak, Lone Peaks are good. Defiances are good. 
you know, everything's getting to where you can, you can buy prefits for them now. So one of the things I always tell somebody, you know, we're swap, swap areas of gear. Um, we had this discussion on Facebook in a group yesterday. If I'm picking between two companies that support the sport or one supports the sport and one doesn't guess which one I'm going to recommend every time, right. you know, the one that supports the sport. So I think that's, that's really huge to help those companies. Cause a lot of people don't realize, you know, I'm, I'm actually a sponsor to the tables as well as a shooter. And you know, it's, it, 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 it hurts small companies to donate that gear. I mean, they put a lot of, put a lot out there on the line, you know, for the shooters and for the sport. They do. And, and a lot of people don't, you know, they don't recognize, uh, you know, even, for for some of the big companies, it's not a big deal. It's built into their marketing budgets, but for some of the smaller mom and pop shops, uh, I mean, one one action or one stock or or one whatever it is, uh, you know, that could mean the profit for for that week. It could mean, you know, it, it could be McDonald's versus you know a steak dinner or whatever. Uh, you know, it's always different for different companies, but the the fact that the sport is growing and you're starting to see more of these mom and pop shops coming up, producing some of the best quality stuff out there um, is just phenomenal. And when you actually look at the industry as a whole, it's not the big companies like the Remington or the Savage or the Rugers or, or whatever that are supporting the sport at this point. It's the mom and pop shops that are, you know, hand making all of these items that are what's growing our sport right now. So thank you. Right. And you, you said a lot right there. This, you know, when we, when we started making actions, um, you know, we wanted to set ourselves aside and we, we started, you know, guaranteeing headspace and actually completely assembling the action. One thing I do at impact is I put together every action's fully assembled. All you have to do is, is screw on a barrel and, and put a trigger in it when you get it. The ejectors in it, extractors in it. And one of the reasons we did that is because I want to know that that sucker feels right and works right when a customer gets it. Now I'm not going to name any names, but you know, every now and then, when an action manufacturer in the past, we'll just say 10 years ago, they throw the extractor in the box, the ejector in the box. You know, you assemble all that yourself because, you know, you might want to Sarah cut it before you put it together. You get everything together and it needs a minor minor tweak to it. You know, take a little bit off the ejector, tune the extractor or whatever. Um, we wanted to get away from that. And, right. you know, I still to this day put everyone together. So you, you said all the mom and pop shops are putting out quality products. I think, you know, they want it. There, there's a lot of people out there taking pride in their work and, and you know, earning people's business instead of just asking for it. It is. I think if I'm not mistaken, not – not too long ago, you actually posted a, uh, a picture on social media or something of a bunch of actions on, like, your table. You were, like, working late one night, and you're, like, assembling actions or something at home. Man, I, I was. I wasn't at home, but I, I work a lot of nights. I actually came in this morning at 3 a.m. to try to get as many as I could at UPS today. And I get a lot done at night. You know, the phones are ringing at night, which the phones never bother me. You know, I like talking to customers. I, I like earning people's business. I don't just want it for free, but... Um, the fact of the matter is I can almost get twice as much done at night when the phones are ringing. <laughs> so I do that quite a bit. Nice. Nice. So with the upcoming season and you running the, uh, you know, a regular season qualifier match for the NRL with clay, and then you're running the championship. What does next season look like for you? Are you going to take a break? Or are you going to still go out there and, and, you know, try to, you know, run for the money as much as possible or what's, you know, what's your plan for the next year? Man, what I plan on doing is I plan on 
shooting the AG qualifiers. Okay. And trying to get back in the AG Cup. Um, like you said, it's not really, you know, worth it for me because I'm running the finale to chase NRL. But what I do plan on doing is putting a lot of effort into that match. Um, we're hosting another match as well. But I plan on helping, um, you know, Justin RO, Clem and BJ RO, like any of the ROs around. You know, I plan on I plan on helping this year and dragging my five year old boy around and and teaching him you know, how to act on the range and getting him some of that experience. So I'm just going to give back a little bit this year. Nice. that Nice. That, and that's usually important because you see a lot of competitors that give back like yourself, but you still see a lot of like top level competitors that don't necessarily RO or, or give back in the same way. So it's, it's very huge that uh, you're planning to spend your time like that. Thank you. You bet. You're welcome. So, you also mentioned before at the very beginning of the show that you're also a very avid hunter, uh, fisherman. Um, how does that role play in your life? I didn't play very much this year. I was too busy chasing matches. <laughs> I just almost shot all the way through the rut. I've got a deer right now that I'm after, and he's been daylighting a couple of times, but um, I'm, I'm still chasing the deer. Um, this, you know, I kind of, I kind of put on put things on hold this year to chase to chase points and you know i wouldn't have gone to as many matches but clay was chasing the prs points and i was chasing the nrl it seemed like we were alternating weekends uh, i know i know there was a four-week stretch where we drove to california yep we got home we i'm gonna mess this up oh we got back on monday afternoon drove straight back uh we flew to san diego the next weekend for the nrl match got back on monday the next saturday went to georgia for the AG Cup, was there five days, drove all the way back, got here the next day, and the very next morning flew out to Washington for Jake's match. So, man, it, you know, it was a rough year. That was, that was all through the rut. It jacked my hunting up completely. Oh, I bet. I bet. It sounds like your schedule for that one month is like my schedule for the year. <laughs> yeah, I, I plan on changing that a little bit next year. Nice. So, next year you're going to be doing a lot of ROing. You're, you're going to bring your, your son out. Um, what is it that you're looking forward to next year as far as, like, you, you said your son's about five or six years old? Yeah, he just turned five last month. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, as a adult with a, a, a young man, uh, you said you started shooting with your father around six or seven years old. Is that something that you plan on doing with your son as well? Oh, man, absolutely. Um, it, uh... Justin Watts night match earlier in the year. I won. Uh, he had some old Henry Golden Boy twenty twos. Yes, I remember. Yeah, I, I, I won second at that match, and I actually gave that to my son. We didn't start shooting it immediately, but I, I started out on iron sights, and I thought, man, it's kind of like writing in cursive anymore. You just skip right over it. So I thought, I want to teach my boy how to shoot iron sights, whether you use it or not, because it seems like everything's scoped now. Right. But uh, we shot, I don't know, a couple hundred rounds with iron sights, and actually in the last three weeks, I've never made him shoot or. Or, you know, I've always asked him if he wanted to, but he never has really picked up the bug. But about three weeks ago, he really started getting interested in a 22 I have uh, with a scope on it. And he calls it the quiet gun. It's got a suppressor on it. I, <laughs> I've got a 100-yard range right in front of the house. and He can pretty much hit – I have a 10-inch steel plate just, just for him down there. But he can pretty much hit that off of a bag and a tripod probably probably eight out of ten times right now. And he's only wow. been for three weeks. so. Actually, about an hour ago, a Manners, one of the Manners CS collapsible stocks, you know, for right. youth, actually came in about 
about uh, an hour ago. So I'm going to put him together at 223 in that. Nice, nice. So obviously you're a big supporter of teaching them while they're young and their responsibility and safety and, and all of that. What do you, you know, what do you tell parents out there that are like, you know, they, they think it's scary or, or they think, you know, they don't know how to approach the topic when, you know, the, their young kids are running around with toy guns and they want to start getting into, uh, you know, the rim fires and things of that nature. Uh, what do you what do you have to say to the parents out there how to get somebody start, you know, their their children started? Man, you know, I'm not. It's hard to put that kind of stuff in words. I'm not a political speaker but um well, know, my, my kids have always been around guns um i've had them in the floor it's just inevitable it's hard to keep them away from them so from an early age my wife's real you know real okay with the idea of having them around obviously we taught them safety and taught them not to touch them and we even watched youtube videos of you know kids like you know saying you know not playing with guns and stuff like that to let them know that they're they're serious and they can hurt you I, I personally am under the belief that it's better for them to be around them and you teach them how to use them than it is to have them around and not teach them and try to keep right. them away and then they'll actually, actually get a hold of them and, you know, do something they're not supposed to. But my kids know not to touch them, you know, unless I'm there. For the longest time, I actually forgot about this. When we first started, um, I made my boy, I put my finger on the trigger and I made him put his finger over my finger and actually pull my finger into the trigger because I didn't want him accidentally fired and I wanted to make sure he wasn't, you know, going down there nonchalantly and, and slapping it. And actually my kid, I've, I've shared some videos lately. My kid has better follow through than I do because I'm constantly <laughs> training him. I don't, I don't let him shoot just to shoot. I don't let him slap the trigger or flinch or anything like that. I figure I'm going to build some good habits into him and, and let him know that every shot's serious. You know, it's hard for a kid that young to really grasp the fact that a 22 long rifle can kill somebody, but um, you know, it's a fact. So it's, it's 100% serious. Anytime we have the rifles out. Yes, sir. Um, I think it's important yes, to teach them that every, every single day. So if he's, if he catches the competition bug, is that something that you're going to obviously, you know, encourage or just kind of let him figure it out on his own or, or how do you do that? Because I know, I know when, you know, again, going back to my father in golf, when I first started playing golf or learning how to play golf, my dad was trying to teach me and I didn't have the best luck with the sport until I actually had a third party coach. Right. Right. I, I get, I get what you're saying. I, I kind of did the same thing. My dad actually hated golf. Um, he, he picked it up because I, I loved it and he knew I had a, you know, a gift there. And when I started playing a bunch, he, he started to play with me, but you know, so far, you know, he likes, you know, dad. So I'm going to, Anytime he wants to shoot, we're going to shoot. I'm going to drop what I'm doing because I want to fuel that fire. If, if that's what he wants to do, you know, I don't really care what he wants to do, but whatever he wants to do, we'll give it a go. I think I think every kid has to – I don't know well, it doesn't have to, but I think it, it's good for kids to have a job to compete or get better at anything or, you know, do what they love to do. So anytime he wants to go shoot, as soon as he wants to compete, guess what? We're going to go compete. So uh, I'm ready for it and excited for it. Nice. Uh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, okay, so we're almost at the end of our, our time slot here, and I'm glad that we got this to work. Just a, a quick FYI, Tate and I have been working on getting this podcast together for quite some time, but as of today, we spent almost 40 minutes before we were able to finally record just because of some technical issues. So 
I've taken up quite a bit of his time today. So I've just got three last questions for you, friend, um, that I ask all our competitors on the show. And that is, do you have three pieces of gear or superstition that you have to have or do before every match that is not a standard piece of equipment, like a scope or whatever? So Clay's obvious answer was he had to have chocolate. No, I don't have to have chocolate. I'll tell you what I do have to do is have caffeine. I kind of quit the energy drinks, but there were years that almost every morning I would drink an energy drink, which conflicts with a bunch of people's idea. Um, I'm kind of the opposite, man. I show up a lot of times and don't have index cards. I borrow a Kestrel, borrow a bunch of stuff. So I don't I don't say I have anything that I have, to <laughs> have a checklist for every, every time. Super simplistic. Yes, sir. Nice. And that's uh, – I'm going to – like give you a little bit of kudos here too. Cause I remember at that New Mexico match, um, Janae Frainer, she had an issue with her rifle and immediately you had a backup rifle and you were offering it to her and, uh, you know, getting her, getting her to the rundown on how everything was set up on that rifle. And that was awesome. Cause she had a great time that weekend. And I, I think after that weekend, she had a, a newfound love for some of the gear that you were running. Man, it's good. I'll, I usually try to carry an extra gun. You don't really want somebody's gun going down, cost them a weekend of you know travel and being away from their family because it's expensive getting there. So right. we, we usually try to carry an extra gun with factory ammo to to a match. No, and that and and that's awesome, man. You've been a huge um, supporter of the sport, ambassador of the sport, sponsor, manufacturer, competitor. I think you, you've held just about every role that you can hold in this sport. And uh, you've done it w- with style and grace, and, and we appreciate you. And, you know, when, um, you know, not to blow smoke up your ass or anything like that, but when the, when we talk about competitors that, you know, really have been great, great people of this sport, you're definitely one of those names that always comes up. So it's truly been an honor to have this time to, chat with you on the phone. Like I said at the beginning of the show, we're super honored and super proud to have you as our champion for the National Rifle League um, and as a match director for the NRL for 2020. And we just wish you all the best of luck in everything that you do, bro. Man, thanks. It's an honor on my end as well. I mean, it really is. So I appreciate you guys too. Absolutely, sir. I'm going to let you go. I know we're, we're right about that Christmas time, just a couple of days away. Um, and you've got a a beautiful family to get to. Uh, so I appreciate your time and I look forward to talking to you and seeing you next season. Uh, for all of our listeners out there, stay safe, keep shooting, and we'll see y'all at the range. Thanks, Travis.